This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Lily Woodbury from Surfrider Foundation Pacific Rim talks about the High Seas Treaty, safeguarding and protecting marine culture, and why it's important to start taking responsibility when it comes to our oceans and waterways all across Canada. Mikhailo Zerdakov joins me live from Kyiv to discuss what it looks like on the ground right now in Ukraine and why tourism is being encouraged in certain areas and what can happen next when it comes to the Russian invasion. And are you okay with cats, big cats, in fact? What about conch shells? We go to Florida, part of Are You Okay? It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. As you know, here on The Shift, we do take a stand for balance. We try to take a stand for responsibility because so many conversations get wildly inflamed on all sides of all stupid things. And it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts when everyone just lights a fire on something and expects some sort of black and white solution. One of the reasons why I truly love the conversations I have with Lily Woodbury. She joins us now. She's from the West Coast. She's in Tofino. She's like, if you think I'm a hippie. Holy! <laughs> welcome no. to Lily. Um, welcome, welcome back. Thank you. What an opening! Hey. And you think I'm a hippie? You got to come to the West Coast and see it for yourself because I feel like I'm pretty glamorous compared yeah. comparatively. Yeah, there's no you're you're not wearing only hemp and smell like patchouli all the time. I wish I was. My parents are that way, and I really need to be serving them justice more. So I need so? more patchouli. Yeah. <laughs> More I could shower you. more, but I'm trying to save water. <laughs> well, I appreciate the hygiene anyway. Um, uh, so you are with Pacific Surf Rider, and so you guys protect the oceans. You protect the beaches, the oceans. That's what you do on the West Coast. And uh, But it's not only that. It's actually just protecting water. It's a much larger um, arching conversation. And, you know, it, it is funny. Last week on the shift, Lily, we uh, we did a shipwreck conversation about the Great Lakes because um, down in the States – uh, they found the Ironton. It's a, a big old ship that they've been looking to forever and they found it. And so they, they haven't released where it is yet because they've got more work to do, but pretty exciting time. When you look at the Great Lakes and you have a small connection to the Great Lakes. I do. Um, yeah. The Manitoulin um, uh, kid here. Um, the 20% of the world's fresh water is in that little pocket of of the world so even though that we will be speaking of the oceans in this conversation it's easy to forget that when we talk about polystyrene when we talk about docks we talk about uh, all of these things and just being more responsible taking the very important next step on protecting water that's just a good reminder 20 percent of all the fresh water in the world is right in our backyard Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you say, all aquatic ecosystems are interconnected, whether it be lakes, rivers, streams, the oceans, mountaintops, all of that connects. And so with Surfrider Foundation Canada, as I've talked about in previous shows, we've affiliated from the United States and we're really shifting from the coastal marine language to be inclusive of all aquatic environments as we work in 2024 and beyond to open more chapters across the country in places like the Great Lakes. Yeah. And we're getting lots of interest from folks. And as you say, the lakes are impacted by the same issues as the oceans of chemical pollution, sewage, plastics and microplastics, expanded polystyrene docks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's important. And, and it is everywhere. I mean, it really is the same problem. I mean, sure, saltwater beats up on different things differently than freshwater does and so on. But um, really, when you think about it, it's all the same. I The reason why it matters to me, and um, 
you know, this is an ironic conversation for a lot of people who listen to the kid who grew up in Fort McMurray, who is a big proponent of, of Canada's energy to be in this conversation, because this is what responsibility looks like. Um, responsibility looks like exactly this. And as a guy who has uh, lived in on the West Coast and, and lived in that place in Northern Alberta and and grown up in both and seen the benefits of both, I've seen the hard work of both groups of people, mm-hmm. that it is so incredibly important that responsibility happens. And it's the one part of the storyline that doesn't get talked about is the amount of hard work that goes into simple things like don't put polystyrene, um, the commercial name, as I've learned, styrofoam, mm-hmm. um, uh, like the Kleenex of tissues. Um, don't put polystyrene just everywhere because it breaks down and it sucks. It's just, it's just that simple, right? It The idea was novel decades ago. Okay, since learned, got to find new solutions. So it, it is an important conversation. It goes so much more uh, beyond all of it. So, I mean, I lived in St. Catharines right on the canals between the Great Lakes, right? Like you see these things and yeah. you can't help but fall in love with it. And I'm not even a water baby like you. Like you're in the water always. I'm like yeah. next to it. I'm like, just put me next to it. Well, it's time for that to change. <laughs> it's so? time for you to come to the West Coast. We'll take you to a remote island and we'll both be neck deep in a polystyrene pile in a cave in a beach somewhere. Yeah. It's a ton of fun, I promise you. <laughs> a ton of fun. All right. I'll take your word it's for that. It's an adventure, but it's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, it is. Um, it is. Actually, one of my first memories of Long Beach was me holding a big block of polystyrene when yeah. I was a kid, right? So uh, yeah. that is a thing, and that's from decades ago right there. Okay, so Lily is here to talk about the High Seas Treaty. It is, uh, hey, let's protect the oceans, get everybody on board, and they have agreed that 30% of the ocean matters, Lily. <laughs> that's right. And we talk about the high seas, we really get that treasure-seeking rum drinking feeling which i know you can appreciate shane i can very much but the so-called high seas yeah they haven't been having such a good time and so with this high seas treaty the framework has been agreed upon and that's really a legal instrument to realize the 30 by 30 goal that has come out of the coming montreal biodiversity framework Mm -hmm. so again reaching that 30 percent protection of the high seas and right now only one percent of the high seas is protected yet the high seas account for almost half of the planet's surface which is incredible when you think about it that way absolutely so the 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 treaty says 30 percent of the seas in protected areas by 2030 the point being to safeguard and recuperate marine nature that sounds fantastic uh, this conversation <laughs> happened in New York, by the way. Um, yes. But what, what it like? How does that work, Lily? Because you know, when you look at the territorial rights to a country, there is a um, sort of a radius that reaches out from land. Right. There's a bunch of uncontrolled areas in the world where right. all kinds of nasty things happen in some areas, right? And then you have yeah. other places where just the the general society takes care of it differently. So how do they even? I mean, that you hear these stories about fishing boats leaving from one country and going out to international water and then just absolutely pillaging an area and then moving on to the next and so on and so forth. Like, how, how does this even work? Yeah, it's a really good question. And so basically all countries, they have what's called an EEZ, an economic, exclusive economic zone. And that's 200 nautical miles after the shoreline of a country. And so every country has this and all of the ocean that's after that EEZ, the 200 nautical miles, that's the high seas. And so that's basically a global commons that's collectively managed by all nations around the world. But obviously not every nation 
equitably operates on the planet. So you have other nations taking more than others, others suffering the issues of plastic pollution, climate change, etc. other issues in the high seas, overfishing. And so with this treaty, this is really a way to look and say, hey, this is not this endless dumping sink and this unlimited resource, we actually have to equitably manage this altogether. And that has to be done collaboratively because it doesn't belong to anyone. It is a global commons. I think of this kind of like war crimes and from the perspective of, you know, we have a bunch of rules around what are war crimes. And then sometimes people go to jail or go to court over war crimes. Mm-hmm. It's really crappy to put in an agreement with no accountability on it though that must be the scariest part because much like the world in war crimes it seems to take an awful lot an awful long time and they kick the ball so far down the road for there to be any accountability on it yeah is this the same kind of battle it's a really good question and i really hope not so the high seas treaty itself it is a legally binding instrument so over 190 nations have come to agreement on this framework. What hasn't happened is all of those countries haven't yet ratified that agreement, which is basically a fancy way to say signed on to it and then turned it into legislation in their own country. So Canada hasn't legislated this yet. No other country has yet. So until all of the countries sign on and this gets turned into legislation in countries, yeah, there isn't that accountability. That is essential for the accountability piece of it. Mm. Once that happens, the framework itself is pretty strong. Like they've been doing negotiations for the last two weeks in New York. And beyond that, as you know, this conversation has been going on for decades. For decades. I think in 1982, right? Like that's really when it really started to shift. Yeah, exactly. But once it becomes ratified, then countries can start looking at, okay, how do we implement these different measures that we've talked about? So for instance, again, the framework for setting up marine protected areas, looking at ways to do stronger environmental impact assessments of seabed mining and overfishing, et cetera. So I think it can be that accountability. It can be a strong piece of legislation, much like we've seen the Montreal Protocol have incredible benefits for healing the ozone. It got rid of chlorofluorocarbons, hydrochlorofluorocarbons, and now the holes in the ozone layer have basically almost totally repaired themselves. It's incredible. And so with the right with these things, with it becoming into law, it can become strong enough for it to hold countries accountable. So you're saying, Lily, that politicians would show up for the photo op and then try to look good in public and then not go home and do the work? Our government would <laughs> never do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where the this is where the work is tough, though, isn't it? Right? Is all the lip service? Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, from reading about the negotiations, it sounds like the negotiations were super tough themselves. Like the everyone who was present at them, they were having a really hard time coming to consensus on different items. Again, like the framework for marine protected areas. Also, these uh, what's called marine genetic resources. There was a lot of issues around that, and that's more economic in nature. And so they did have a really hard time coming to consensus. And I think the reason this is being so celebrated is because this is one of the most complicated parts of the planet that we know the least about, mm-hmm. yet has been super overexploited, yet we were able to reach an agreement with this framework. And that's why so many groups, environmental groups that are usually pretty skeptical are like, hey, this is amazing. Let's celebrate. And that gives me hope because they're usually the first ones with, you know, the alarm bells saying, hey, 
this uh, isn't looking good. The economics of the ocean is a little bit more simple, and that's where this could become a really exciting framework for the future. One of the things that I struggle with, and you and I have shared about this a lot, is the uh, sacrifices Canadians make with taxes, 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 uh, you know, for the for the environment. Um, mm -hmm. When there are countries in the world, you know, statistically speaking, that Canada is impossible to put a dent in it until these these countries, you know, um, start to get on board. I'm oversimplifying. Forgive that part, please. Um, but the reality is, is that Canadians are are paying, 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 and there are other countries that there's an awful lot of hypocrisy around the world. Now it is more complicated in energy and resources and air and packaging and all the other things that go wrong with you know commerce in general. But this, this almost for the first time seems to create a simplified agreement about what becomes possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and that that part's exciting. I mean, I'm not, um, uh, we have acknowledged, you and I both acknowledge that all sides of this conversation have hypocrisy and all sides of this conversation have agendas. Um, the core of it boils down to living responsibly and making sure future generations have a beautiful planet to live on. And that's, that's really it. I think everybody agrees on that, but th this could be, this could be for the first time in a long time, a general practice run for even bigger things. Yeah, I think so. To be honest with you, uh, learning about the high seas treaty, it does seem like there's some loopholes that countries can opt out of marine protected areas and that there's certain enforcement bodies who are regulating things like seabed mining and over and fishing industry that might not have to comply with environmental impact assessment. So unfortunately, there's still those loopholes. But really, we're at a time where this is a matter of justice. It's a matter of survival. We have this target for 30% by 2030. And as we know, from scientific studies around the world, that's the minimum that we need to really curb this biodiversity crisis that we're going through. So I really hope that that can be our North Star and not let other stuff <laughs> obfuscate that pathway that we need because we need the oceans. As we know, most yeah. of our oxygen comes from there, our food, culture, everything. And so that's what we need to keep focused on. When you look at um, this uh, as a as sort of a framework idea, it really does add a whole new level of, you know, fresh water too. When you look at energy and and you know, um, procurement of energy in a responsible way and more responsible way every, every day. Canada, we're lucky, right? Like we, we, there, there have been a lot of mistakes in the past in Canada, but it has gotten so much better, so much faster than the rest of the world. And it doesn't mean that it's off the hook now. It just means that it's got to continue to be so much better for sure. So here in Canada, we already have a lot of great work, foundational work. When you can take this and turn it into freshwater rivers, um, controlling water in a way that, you know, changes things. And water's a tough one because there are all kinds of places that thousands of years ago, they were oceans, but now they're seabeds. And that's just the natural course of things. Um, so it's a fine line between did we screw it up or was it going to happen anyway? But so this must be exciting when you look at the Great Lakes, when you look at some of those beautiful lakes that are all around um, Canada, um, th this, this really can graduate into that too. Absolutely. And it's still working to bring all of these different treaties into alignment. So again, looking at the Paris Agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, looking at the Kunming Montreal framework to, again, protect biodiversity 30 by 30. Now this high seas treaty, all of these are in alignment. So we also want to be protecting the Great Lakes and the freshwater systems by 30% as well. 
and reduce greenhouse gases to protect them as well. So I think that's what we need to do instead of seeing these all of these different agreements and policies, conventions in this disparate way is seeing them all in conjunction and making sure that they are all together telling one cohesive story and creating one cohesive form of protection for all of these ecosystems. And that was a whole point of the high seas treaty was that the high seas were regulated by this patchwork of different policies and committees, bodies, and that's what left it to be vulnerable to exploitation. And so that's what we really need to see and keep calling for. So Lily is with Pacific Surfrider and um, it's all about the water. And so th there's the information about the to the new treaty, the high seas treaty. So it, it's good news. It's a start. It's not done. There's more work to be done. Politicians need to be taken into account. I've been all over the politicians for, you know, this foreign <laughs> interference conversation um, for government policy on food. And, you know, all the things that we've talked about here on the shift to that grocery stores are following the rules. And yet the government is blaming them for the problems the government created. So we've, we've been all over the government and saying as Canadians, you got to pay attention. My invitation to everybody is to pay attention to this as well, because we got to make sure that our government is not going to situations like this, making big, beautiful promises that are great for photo ops and then not coming back and delivering when Canada is surrounded by and holds inside of it so much water. So it's incredibly important. Lily Woodbury is here. Now, Lily, just for the sake of bringing this really home, <laughs> you you are a water baby. Like you you are in the water all the time. When That's you're right. there, you're, you do, you love it. And when you're there and you're on your surfboard you're, you're and you're sort of floating in the water, um, as weird as it is that you like the cold water, um, hmm. the what's that moment for you? Like, not don't you don't have to just be poetic or describe it perfectly, but is there a place that where you go to where it just becomes so important for for people like you that love to be in the water? T tell me what that moment's like when you're just sitting there looking at it. Well, that's such a beautiful question, and I haven't actually surfed in weeks. I've been all over the place and just got home to to Fino last night, so. You're making me itch to get out there and there's still, it's not a full moon now, but maybe I can still get out there tonight. But it's a good question. You know, to be honest, like there's not ever just one emotion. I think the ocean always brings out whatever I'm meant to be facing that day, you know, and sometimes that's anger. Sometimes that's frustration. I think the ocean and surfing in general has a way of making you both connected with the environment but also making you face yourself in some pretty sobering ways at least it is for myself mm -hmm. but i think overall what i feel so blessed as a surfer and someone who's being who's able to access the ocean all the time is just that profound feeling of peace and interconnection that i get that i'm out there and there's just this quiet and there might be some birds or a sea lion some other people waving and you're just out there amongst it in the elements. And, you know, I think to myself, what if every person on the planet got to feel this free and this happy and this connected and safe in their environment? And it makes me emotional just thinking about that because it is it is so profound. Imagine we could get there. And I think it's important that we continue working towards a world where that is, which is why we're here right now. That's why we're here right now. Uh, you're the best. Thank you for sharing your heart and uh, all the info. Let's, uh, as Canadians, uh, make sure our government delivers on the promises they've That's made. right. Keep the pressure up. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. This is The Shift Podcast.
I hope you're recovering from your uh, spring ahead time change that we've gone through in most of Canada. Uh, there's one place that we learned uh, doesn't change their time the same way we do. And that is in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, where Mikhailo Zernikov joins us now. Uh, hello, Mikhailo. Thanks for getting up an extra hour early <laughs> because of the time Hello, change. Shane. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. I, uh, I texted. We, we planned this last week, and then I looked at the clock and kind of thought about it for a second. I was like, hey, Mikhailo, you want to get up an extra hour earlier for me <laughs> on a Monday morning back uh, no, from the weekend? Not, My goodness. That's not too early. Yeah, so that's a good start to, to a good way to start your week. It's all, all, it's right. all good. Thanks, Shane. Oh, uh, you're kind. Thank you so much, sir. Okay, Mikhailo's in Kiev. He's a former lawyer. Well, I guess he's still technically a lawyer. He's a lawyer and former judge. He's an advocate <laughs> for democracy and for creating uh, what the new version of Ukraine looks like. That's what you work for. Um, how was your weekend? How were how was uh, your fellow Ukrainians this weekend? Well, it was quite good. Uh, it was quiet. You know, before that, we had another missile strike, a massive missile attack on the uh, on Ukraine, uh, so that that was and it, it was at night. It was particularly was was Thursday night, so it was wasn't we, we didn't get much sleep then. But uh, the weekend was was relatively uh, all right, so uh, so fine. Other than uh, yeah, we had to say, say goodbye to one of the fallen heroes. Um, his name was Dmytro Kotsubaila. He's one of the he's one of the uh, youngest uh, leaders in Ukrainian was one of the youngest leaders in the Ukrainian army, and unfortunately, uh, he died. Uh, and uh, I mean, everybody was there uh, to commemorate and to say goodbye. President Zelensky, Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin, like all our our uh, army's uh, uh, leadership, and like lots, lots, of thousands of people. That was sad. Um, yeah, the rest was the rest was all right. I mean, I had I had I had relatively good rest. Thanks. Well, let's um, let's talk about. I want to talk about both those. Um, da Vinci was uh, the working name. This 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 kid, and just a yeah. just a kid. I mean, uh, a fierce combatant though. Volunteered to oh, fight. Yes. Twenty seven years old. Respected very much by his peers, and uh, he was uh, killed near Bakhmut, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's going on in Bakhmut now? We've heard sort of pushback this way, that way. Um, you know, uh, it's going well. It's not going well. What are you hearing? Well, I mean, these people, these people, heroes who 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 are there. I mean, as well as as on any other point in the on the front line, it's it's uh, very slowly, but it's being you can see like on the map, like it's it's being not encircled, but getting into the kind of almost a circle. Let's 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 put it this way. So it's uh, it's harder to get out of the city. I mean, it's it's always a, a roulette. People say, will you will you not get in and out if you if you like. So it's a, it's a very hard situation there, but, but people are still holding strong. So that's, that's why we call it Fortress Bahamut. So when these things happen on Thursday with that missile attack you were talking about, Mikhailo, um, mm-hmm. you know, you run an office, you guys have a, a large team, and, and you know, everyone's got to go to work yeah. the next day. Um, how do you deal? Like, I think that we can ask this question from the perspective of just employees and workers. You know, we have a bad day, yeah. a bad night. Maybe we don't feel good. We don't get a good night's sleep. Maybe we call in sick or we work half the day or whatever. Uh, I guess I have no context to understand what it's like when the entire office was up most of the night because of missile attacks. And yeah. then uh, how do you deal with that as, as a leader inside your group with, you know, I mean, you have a lot of really smart, educated people inside your group. And how do you, yeah. how do you lead those people after a night like Thursday when, you know, I'm assuming not many people slept much? Oh man, yeah, you gotta get rest. I mean, uh, especially in the situation where 
you know, psychologically, it's it's not easy on on anybody for more than a year, and you 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 absolutely have to have like some rest at least. So we we just, I mean, we agreed that if if this happens, then you take whatever. If it's not if it's not if it's not crucial, if it's not like the end of the world almost, I mean. You skip an event, you 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 do you do your assignment like a little bit later, but you you keep your sanity and you keep your functionality, and that's that's the that's the primary goal. And I think that's that's the um, that's the I mean the ultimate goal is to save people's lives. Of course, that is why we, we tell everybody like guys go to if it's a missile attack, if it's not a random like air alert, if it's like one plane somewhere near the border, if it's if it's a real one. Uh, just go downstairs. Uh, don't waste your. I mean, this is the end of the world. Literally, if if you got hit by a missile and die, then nobody wins. Uh, and then, of course, if you if you did that, and if you, if you if you if you're safe, but then if you didn't sleep for a night, of course you get some hours of sleep and then come to work. It's it's as simple as this. Okay. Well, that sounds uh, particularly uh, normal, actually. Um, and and productive yeah. for everybody to succeed at their jobs. And I guess that I've never been there, Mikhail. Like, I've never been in a war zone before, so I don't have context of what that sounds uh-huh. like. And if we as Canadians, I think, would like to understand what it's like to um, move forward, I think the context really helps us understand what life looks like, what the real life looks like, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's yeah. the... I think that's that's what helps us. We can talk about, you know, bombs falling here, and we can talk about... Um, you know, uh, air raid sirens and electricity and all those things. Mm-hmm. But we truly understand when we think about, you know, how your your team, you know, gets together at lunchtime and talks about how they're struggling with things. Um, and I don't know, you order in a pizza or something. Yeah. Well, it's, it's extremely contrasting, I, I, I should say, because right now, again, thanks to the bravery of, of Ukraine's armed forces and thanks for the um, help of the civilized world, we do have um, a situation in, in Kiev, for example, or in Lviv, where, where mayor sort of invites people to come. And I mean, it's all right. I mean, it's, it doesn't, it, it might sound bizarre, but it's, it's I mean, on, 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 on an average day, it's, it's, it's safe. And then it's, it's total hell in places like Bakhmut or others uh, along the front line. And uh, of course, it's hell under occupation because, I mean, the process is happening every day, mass rapes and mass rapes and everything. So, um, yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, it's really different. And I mean, we're, again, we're lucky uh, that we are here and that we have a sky above us that is safe and we have, well, relatively, when, when the Russians missiles are not flying. And, and, and again, th- thanks for your help. But then to liberate those territories where hell is happening every day, uh, we, we, uh, we absolutely have to get more, more of that support to get all the, uh, all the means, all the weapons uh, to, to get back the territories as, as fast as they can, to, back, to get back the people as fast as they can, because it's not about the territories, it's about the fates and about the days of, of those people who, uh, who stay occupied. And that's, uh, yeah, and that's really that. Uh, you you mentioned uh, it's like you're reading my mind, man. We're in sync. This is great. You mentioned about uh, tourism in Ukraine inviting Canadians to mm-hmm. come visit, and uh, we have an article on the national on the news side of our our channels. They have an they have an article that was posted that literally uh, says Lviv says welcome to Lviv, Canadian tourists come and tour. You want to support Ukraine? Come to Lviv, spend your money, and learn what this country is all about. And it's wild to think that they're invited. The mayor of Lviv is saying, come visit. But at the same time, I got to tell you, I'm kind of tempted 
Um, I, I so tell me tell me your thoughts on that, and then I, I want to talk about this some more. I have some questions. Oh, man, it will be, you, you're always so welcome. I mean, I would be thrilled to see you, man, um, as well as any other Canadian, because you're, you guys, your your support is is uh, is fantastic, and, and thank you for this. Um, I, if, if it's the best way to support the country, I don't know. If you want a tour, please come again. I mean, it's, it's the, the so far the worst that can happen in the city that is not occupied. It's you hear the air alarm and you go like in the basement, you go downstairs and it's like zero point, I don't know what, zero, 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 what percent chance that it, it may land somewhere near you that you might hear a boom. That's, I mean, other than that, uh, if you're, I mean, if you're in a shelter, you're safe. And that happens, I don't know, once in several days, once in two weeks, they're, they're real. I mean, the alarms are, are going on and off, but like the, the massive missile strike goes once in several days tops. So that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much safe. But I mean, it's also, it's also strange to think about going to a, to a country at war uh, for tourism, I understand. So that there still means to support us. There still means, I mean, uh, ask your government to send, to send those weapons that we need, you know, take rockets, uh, airplanes, uh, all these, all these uh, munitions that we need, that our government is, is um, asking the civilized world to provide, um, I don't know, donate money to charities, uh, support the, the armed forces directly. There's, there's so many ways to uh, to help Ukraine uh, so far, not being physically here. But if you want, of course, we'd be more than happy to show you around. So tell me about Lviv then, because I know that with Stepan and our conversations with him, that he had shared with us that you know he spent time when this all started a year ago with his dad in Lviv, and it was one of the things that mm-hmm. he was able to look at um, gratefully at the war because he had some time with his father that he would never have had, you know, riding bikes with his dad yeah. was not something that, um, you know, as he became an adult was something that he even expected he would do. And, and so he shared a, a really nice picture of Lviv. I thought maybe you could share with us, you know, why should we come to let's, let's assume that from the perspective, assume that it's safe and we can come. What, why should we come yeah. to Lviv? What, what, what is there, what is there about Ukraine that we can learn? That's just super awesome to go for. Well, first of all, it's super uh, nice and cozy. It looks like it's been a part of Austro-Hungarian Empire, right? And it's been a part of of Poland for quite a while. So, it, so it's very Western. It's very European, like in a sense. You you get you get a feeling you you get like you're in, you're in the part maybe part of like it's similar to two towns in Poland and similar to two towns in Austria, and and it's quite a big one. I mean, it's almost a million uh, inhabitants. So um, it's the architecture is similar. It is very nice because like there's, there's tons of cafes and restaurants and places to go like for leisure parks. Uh, again, architecture. The people are super nice. I mean, I felt I also had like to spend several. We moved the office there and then back. I spent several days, uh, sorry, several months there even. Uh, I actually wanted to before the big war. I actually wanted to to like live and live for like several months just because because it's a very nice town. And then I was like, hey, okay, here's here's the way my dreams come true. Maybe that's not exactly the way I I expected that or or imagined that in my mind. But uh, well, here we go. It was it was super super nice to to be there. Even though I mean, given the circumstances, I I had I had really I mean, everybody was very supportive. I spent some time, uh, you know, at my friend's place, and then moved to like find a place on my own. And I mean, it's very, very good, and it's it's a probably number one. I mean, apart from Kiev, which is the capital for which you, you to, where you will go for like many other obvious reasons, it's a probably number one tourist destination. Also because it's very close to uh, several borders, um, including the Polish one. 
so you can get uh, quite easily uh, there from like pretty much anywhere in Poland if you fly there. Uh, I'm looking at Google Maps while you share this story of doing the street view of, of where I'm assuming is downtown mm-hmm. Lviv. Um, and it, it is quite, it does look very European, right? There, there's an el- even element of like, of a sort of British style of streets and, and buildings. Oh, yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Do you, and this is going to sound like a silly question, but I'm, it's what comes to my mind. So I will ask it. Do you drive on the left-hand side of the road or the right? No, we do, we do drive on the right. It's, uh, okay. it's very, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's not like the Brits, it's like the rest of continental Europe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. And I mean, many, <laughs> I mean, in, 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 we, we, we do write the lyric, though. That's, that's different from uh, many countries in, in uh, say, Western Europe uh, or Central Europe. Other than that, I mean, like in some, in, in many places in Lviv, for example, or like in Kiev, you, you, you won't see much difference from, I don't know, your average European country that exists. Yeah, it's very green. Lots of trees. It's cool. Yeah, this is yeah. I mean, the, the, facades I a... are, the facades could 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 be in a better shape. I mean, when we get to the Euro- European Union, uh, probably that's that's gonna get. I mean, because that's the, the EU pays a lot of attention to like infrastructure, streets, and facades and everything. So that 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 needs some attention. But still, I mean, there's the architecture, there's houses, there's I mean, there's this nice. It, it's still very nice, and it's and it's very modern, and it's like it's a lot, and and also quite ancient at the same time. So it's it, it's a very nice place. Yeah, it's really cool. Lots of, uh, it's fascinating. I found a KFC as well, so that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> okay, I, that's one. Yeah, yeah. I uh, hey, why not? Hey, this is some North American uh, cuisine for you. Pretty great. Um, Mikhailo Zirnikov yeah. is in uh, is in Kiev, Ukraine, right now. Mikhailo, what are we missing? What are we not hearing about as Canadians right now that we need to hear about that's going on in Ukraine? Are there there are little victories that we don't hear about? Um, whether it's volunteers and people. Uh, maybe resolve. Um, are there more battles going on? Because there, th- that rocket attack on Thursday really hammered down on that power plant. And while it was a lot of yeah. explosions and a lot of fire, it seemed like the recovery was substantially faster than it would have been six months ago. Yeah, I, I also think so. I'm not again, again. I'm not an expert on that, but uh, um, I think we got pretty. Again, it's it's a weird achievement, but uh, we got we got pretty well with with recoveries and like reconstruction already while we are at war, because you you gotta have you know infrastructure going on and you gotta have houses and everything. Um, uh, yeah, uh, what else? What else? are we hearing? I mean, there was some news about the the Oscars uh, last night, and uh, that's that's one that's one thing. I think the thing that is missing out of the picture is how do we end this war and how do what's the victory really look like? And and I mean now this. It seems to be a sort of a consensus between the Western world. I mean, that they say, okay, we'll support Ukraine till the end. Ukraine has to win. But then what? What, what happens with Russia? Like, what is, what is the end game here? Like, what, what are we looking into to, for the war to end, for that to be a just and sustainable peace? Because if there is no just and sustainable peace, the war will continue, like it did in Chechnya for, for the Russians, like it did in other places, where they came back, even though they lost the first time, and then they pretty much obliterated the whole thing. Um, and then they won, and, and uh, you know, what happens next, we all know. So um, that's, that's something we, we have to think about, and I'm bringing up Oscars because, surprisingly, somehow, for the second time in a row, they did not, the Academy did not give a floor for, for President Zelensky to speak, even though they, they were, like, asked nicely um, several times. And then they said, oh, we don't want a strange 
uh, reasons. We don't want to bring up something about the war or, we, or it's all political. You know, we're not political. But then what happens is that two pictures win. One is the All Quiet on Western Front, which is about the war. And another is about Navalny, the so-called opposition Russian politician, who is pretty much imperialist in his views. And, and the, the picture about him, and of course, he, his wife comes up and gives a, a political speech but about Russia, not Ukraine, which is very bizarre, to be honest. And that's, that also shows how um, detached from reality still um, a lot of businesses and even cultural um, places and organizations are. And that, that kind of, that's, that's a lot of uproar now in Ukraine, and everybody goes like, what the hell is that? Uh, yeah, so that's strange. Um, so we have to, what I'm trying to say is we have to, we have to figure this out, and we have to understand that uh, you know before we de before we de-imperialize Russia, before we I mean Nazi Germany went through a lot to become a modern Germany, the partner for the civilized world. Well, uh, it's 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 uh, it's very um, um, it's not even too optimistic, it's very naive and dangerously naive to think that oh, when Putin is not there, Russia will automatically somehow become democratic. No, it will, it will not, and will become a threat to civilized world before we decolonize it, before we deimperialize it, before we before it goes with the help of the rest of the civilized world through a very painful but very necessary transition to becoming a a good country. Well, he's been there for so long, and if the notion is that if he goes away, that there's not going to be a vacuum of space where all of the supporters will try to continue to live into, that's that's just flat-out naive, I would say. So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, yeah. there's a – I guess I draw the distinction between um, what, what has happened is surviving war versus the difference of finishing the war, and those are two distinctly different places. Thank Absolutely. you for bringing it up. The political perspective is really interesting for me to hear on on the Oscars. I, I didn't make that connection between the two. I knew that Zelensky didn't get the chance to go, but I did not make the Navalny uh, connection, uh, even think of it that way. So you really offer me some perspective uh, on that as well. Uh, thank you for that, and thank you for getting up early and being with us here. Our time change has changed everything in our international conversation, so I appreciate you. And um, also just want to acknowledge that, in all, with all of your family and all of your friends and all of your coworkers and colleagues that are in a war every day, there's a guy halfway around the world that sends you messages on the weekend after things happen and you still make time uh, to have conversation with me and help me understand what's going on. And I thoroughly appreciate that, Mikhailo. It, 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 it's, it's notable because there are so many busy things you can be doing and helping me understand, uh, I'm truly grateful. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, brother, for such nice words and for having me. And uh, rest assured, you wake me up at three at night and I'm happy to talk to you and happy to talk oh. to everybody if, if I make some sense, uh, which I hope I do. So thank you very much again for having me and thank for all the support. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mikhailo Zernikov there on the shift. Uh, he is in Kiev, Ukraine, and Mikhailo is—he's um, a was—he is a lawyer. He was a judge. Um, this is a man that has all kinds of influence and runs a massive organization filled with lawyers that uh, try to break out corruption in that country. And he still makes time for you and for me every time we ask, even an hour earlier than normal because of the time change. Remarkable, and I truly am grateful. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are 
you okay with? If you're just joining us now, you might recognize uh, Demi Knight from TV. She was on at Lethbridge in Calgary, and you've seen her bits and her pieces. But now, here in Radio Land, hanging out with us, 877-399-9898. Share your thoughts here with Are You Okay as well. You ready to go? Are you okay with cats? Big cats, even. The big, the big cats. Do you find yourself a cat person? I'm more of a dog person. I'm not gonna lie. Yes. I know. Cat like cats dog are great. People. Cats are fine. Nope. But no, they're, they're cats. They're cats. Exactly. That's just it. They're cats. I would agree. Although the big ones are super cute. After Tiger King, we should all agree on um, that. Big cats in places like that does not really work well. I mean, seeing tigers or whatever in zoos and you know everyone has different opinions about that i like the education part of a proper zoo with proper animal keepers that are big enclosures and natural and all that stuff i mean that to me becomes a really good education opportunity for the big cats um but these for-profit only independent ones that we see around the world that are tiny little cages and not properly educated keepers either um, like we saw in the Tiger King, probably not the best, but I think the evidence is there that that one did not work out well. Um, but that being said, people do keep big cats illegally. Um, and sometimes legally, you can actually do that depending on where you are. The Cincinnati Zoo just welcomed a wild African serval after it was captured in Ohio of all places. The cat was on a bit of a rampage when it was captured and it was pretty high up in a tree when it was found. Um, turns out why the rampage, the cat was incredibly high and high as a kite. Cell phone video shot by Reed Faraday captures a serval high up in a tree on Edroy Court in Oakley. These types of animals are considered dangerous. They are on the, the dangerous and wild uh, list for the state of Ohio. Chief Troy Taylor with the Hamilton County Dog Warden's Office says initially it was thought the cat was a F1 Savannah house cat. While similar in looks to the serval, the two are very different animals. It was uh, for sure a, a sight to see, and it was um, one of those things that after talking to this cat expert, he said that um, we did a great job, and, and we're also pretty lucky because this cat um, pretty much could have uh, sh shredded us, apart, you know, just killed us. If that's not wild enough, test results came back that this serval named Amory had cocaine in his system. Uh, that's NBC 10, by the way. Authorities have no idea how the cat ended up high like the cocaine bear, which is essentially what it's become. Can we just all agree? Like, we, we are arguing about zoos and all of these things. Uh, the last killer whale in captivity passed away uh, in Canada this past week. And so that's the last one now. So there are certain scenarios that, you know, this do does not work, right? But can we just all agree that cocaine for animals, while funny in a movie, is just not okay? Can we just agree with that? I think that's the good thing we could agree with. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. Well, the cat is now clean, feeling better, sober, sober cat. Uh, the animal's owner was cooperative and not facing any charges. It does make you wonder, though, Demi. Do you think that? Do you think that they just double check that guy's place just to see if there's a giant <laughs> bag of coke lying around? I mean, I think they'd be crazy not to. Yeah, exactly. It's good stuff. Are you? Oh, hang on. Let's just start this one. Let's be completely out of context. Let's hit the thing, Jono. We must never question the wisdom of the magic conch. The club always takes its advice before we do anything. 
Oh, Magic Conch Shell, what do we need to do to get out of the kelp forest? Nothing. The shell has spoken! <laughs> okay. Uh, that is SpongeBob. Jono, you light up. That Ryan leaves the nuggets of Brian goodness with us here, even though he's on vacation. That just made you really happy, didn't it? You love SpongeBob. Yeah, I did. I I have memorized almost every single episode and show line, so I was reciting that as that went. Oh my god, um, Demi, uh, SpongeBob for you? No, no, not at all. <laughs> That's so good. Are you okay with conch shells? Is it a conch cell? It's conch, right? It's got to be conch. I don't is even know what cell? it is. Shell? I don't... It's the one that you hear the ocean. Yeah, like the but I I don't know how to say it. I don't even I know how you... I would form an opinion on it. It's a shell. Um, we need to find out. We're gonna find this out here. I'm gonna look this up here. Just a little googling in real time. Yeah, I think conch. it's the one that you hear the ocean through when you hold it to when your you hold ear, it, right? Yeah. Like those. Yeah. Yeah, it said pronunciation says conch. I think it's conch shell. Conch shell, conch shell, conch shell. It's got to be conch shell. Anyway, um, I know them because I've seen them like on TV and the things that people do with them, hearing the ocean, stuff like that. Um, so conch shells, SpongeBob only means one place that we're about to go, and that's Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drill. I have never blown a conch shell before. I can say that. Turns out there is actually an annual conch shell blowing contest in Key West, Florida, uh, that people take very, very seriously. And I don't know if this makes you feel proud or perhaps shame, but the winner in Florida of the conch shell blowing contest is a Canadian. Carol Whitley of Ontario blew a long, loud blast with her conch shell to best the other competitors while Brian Cardis of uh, Macon, Georgia, played the Jimmy Buffett song Fins on a pink-lied conch shell with holes in it so it can be played like a flute. This is really a thing. The conch shell only has a certain number of notes, and so I picked fins because the notes fit the conch shell, and of course because we're in Key West. <laughs> you know what? That's not an instrument. You know, you know what that does not deserve that round of applause at the end of it. I mean, or it's a smattering a of golf support. Yeah. I mean, well done. Uh, way to go there, bud. Way to way to play, Brian, on your on your conch shell. Anyway, because it's the shift, <laughs> this is what we do. Judges evaluated entrance ranging from child children to seniors on the quality, novelty, duration, and the loudness of sounds they produced. Now, not only is this uh, such a popular contest, it's a very long-running contest, too. It's been around since 1972. Conch cells have been used as musical instruments, communication devices, building materials for centuries, not to mention many a Hollywood movie cliche. <laughs> mm. 
I can't believe that. That's wild. Okay. Um, I'm Shane Hewitt. Uh, Demi Knight is here and Jono Chung as well. Are you okay with whiskey? Ooh, that's a good one. Jono, are you a whiskey drinker? Uh, no, I don't. I don't drink at all, unfortunately. None? Nope. I don't drink at all. Just not your jam or what? It's just not my jam, yeah. I don't huh. take any alcoholic beverages. Just not my jam. Not interested in right. alcoholic beverages. Fair enough. I'm a terrible influence on you then. My apologies. Uh, Demi, are you uh, also making such wise decisions as John? I wish I was. I am. Well, I can tell I'm by a... the story earlier that said two drinks a week when your eyes went wide and you're like, two drinks yeah. a week. Hello, that was I lunch. Thought, I thought like two drinks a day was okay, but... <laughs> I so also whiskey, love whiskey. Then. You love do? Whiskey. What kind of whiskey? Yeah. Well, my favorite cocktail is a whiskey sour. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but I do like myself some old fashions too. I'm just super, you know, super cool like that. <laughs> the uh, Okay, so you are originally, you're from Lethbridge, but you are originally from Manchester in the UK. So which way yeah. do you go? Because this could be quite the battle. Do you mm. go Scotch whiskey or do you go Irish whiskey? Oh, never scotch. Never, never no? scotch. No. I agree. I can't See, I do agree. that. Ryan loves scotch. Mm. Irish whiskey for me, when we ever go out, because we go out to Banff Springs, and that's where we have our meetings. It's always at the Banff Springs, just because we love it. And so he always orders scotch. I always order Irish whiskey, which, by the way, Irish whiskey is way cheaper. Did you know that Irish whiskey is actually on a massive upswing in popularity and scotch is on a downfall? Because of smart people like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, whiskey. Great for sipping, terrible for hangovers. If you have too much too fast right before bed, that's not good. A town in Tennessee is dealing with the worst possible side effect of whiskey, fungus. (laughs) You've had a lot of whiskey if that is the result. But anyway, black fungus is a thing. Patrick Long bought his property in Lincoln County back in 2021. He was warned that he'd have to pressure wash his house a few times because of something called whiskey fungus. It's wiping out Patrick Long's trees. The fungus killed each of these trees. And coating mailboxes, playground equipment, leaves, barn roofs, even rocks. You can see how the fungus has completely discolored them. It's disgusting, yes. It's disgusting and it looks like any mold you might find in your crawl space. When the Lincoln County resident bought this property in 2021, there were only two Jack Daniels barrel houses next door. Now there are seven. And he says the fungus keeps getting worse. When it is on your landscaping, you just watch the the piece of vegetation die. A long, slow death. It's why Long's wife is suing Jack Daniels and the Lincoln County government, saying the whiskey giant was allowed to expand its barrel houses without proper permits. And a judge now agrees. So, now Jack Daniels is different for whiskeys. I don't know the last time that I could stomach a straight-up Jack shot. Like, it's not it's not the nicest of the whiskeys. Mm, um, yeah. It's not, not even nice in any mix at all. Which is... No. I would sue them, too. <laughs> WSMV4 is the channel that brought us that. Now, Jack Daniels, the company, told them that they would respect the judge's ruling. Apparently, federal agents in Tennessee used to look for the fungus as a sign that illegal alcohol or moonshine was being made nearby. 
According to the Herald Leader, residents in at least three other counties have fought distillery expansions, arguing that the fungus could harm property values. Had no idea that um, whiskey distilleries could do that, but it must be the warm climate, right? I would imagine. It's not like yeah, I don't. Mushrooms. I I would never have heard of that, but I I would assume we wouldn't have that problem here. Yeah, I, I and not in Scotland or Ireland as no. well. It's just not warm enough. But the yeah. uh, now the difference, Tennessee Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey has to be from Kentucky if it's going to be bourbon whiskey from Tennessee, usually made with corn. Irish whiskey must be distilled in Ireland. It can be bottled elsewhere. It can actually be tinted and colored elsewhere, but it must be distilled in Ireland in order to be Irish whiskey. And I believe scotch is the same. And um, so they all have their little rules. And mm -hmm. I did learn this that I found particularly amazing, that most whiskeys are distilled in one or both of the following, for the most part. Used... Um, uh, used rum barrels that have um, distilled rum before and also in um, red wine barrels is, is a big one. So if you like your Cab Savs and all those, those old barrels distill a lot of whiskey and they get shipped around. So those barrels actually get moved from different products and different uh, businesses and get sold to each other because they like someone's um, Cabernet Sauvignon and or their Merlot and that's one of their secrets to their whiskey is that they bring in that Merlot or Zinfandel or whatever in those barrels. And that's how they make that. So interesting. There you go. There I you never go. would have known that. Yeah. Well, go get make yourself a whiskey sour here. Why not? Mm. Eh? I'll do that. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.